Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see all of you guys here. Welcome to the 8 a.m. service. Good job. You made it. Uh, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here at church, and uh, we got a good, breezy, cool morning. Amen? God is good. And so uh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, our youth group, Holly Pearson, Jared Anderson, who uh, took 14 campers up to IRBC camp this last week, and uh, we should give them a round of applause. Thanks, Jared, for sacrificing your time. I'll, I'll talk to Holly in the next service, but God is good. And uh, we are in Psalm 40, Psalm chapter 40. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open that psalm up to Psalm 40. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses together, and then we're going to see all that God has for us um, through His Spirit. So let's read Psalm 40, starting in verse 1. We'll read through verse 10. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim them. I will tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering... You have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book as it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your, test, your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Praise God for the reading and for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together and dig in. Father, thank you for the beautiful morning you've given us outside. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart Be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord my God, my strength and my Redeemer. God, I pray for each person here. I pray that our hearts would connect with one another. And then I pray that our hearts would connect with you, Father, through Jesus. Lord, I pray that Jesus would be the center and the hero of our text. And I pray that you would speak to us through your Spirit in specific ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dig into Psalm 40, I want you guys to know and to understand and be reminded of, we are, we are digging into a fraction of the truth that is contained in the Psalms, okay? So like when we go through Psalm 40, I don't want you to come out of 30 minutes of exposure to Psalm 40 thinking, yeah, I pretty much got it. I got it. We are dealing with scratching the surface of the truth that is in, in here, inherent in the text. And I just, it's my prayer that as you hear Psalm 40, you would hunger 
for more, okay? And you would take it and you would live it and dig into it and read it and process it and apply it into your life. So Psalm 40, the first 10 verses is all about God's deliverance, okay? So if you're looking for a word, deliverance would be the word. Um, Salvation, um, saved, um, rescued, Those are the words that I think would describe Psalm 40 and David's heart as he writes um, the first 10 verses. God loves to deliver and to save his people. Can I get a witness? All right. God loves to deliver. He loves to save his people. So I want you to see where I'm getting that from. Verse 1, God inclined to me and he heard my cry. Okay, that's deliverance. He inclined, he came down, and he heard my cry. Verse 2, he drew me up out of the pit of destruction, and he set my feet upon the rock. So you have God drawing up and setting David on solid ground. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. You see, the activity of God in Psalm 40 is delivering, rescuing, and he's putting a new song in my mouth. Can I get a Brandon amen? Amen? Right? Yeah, let's get a singing amen. He put a new song in my mouth. And then verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds. So David is saying you've you've multiplied out wonderful deeds in my life. And then in verse 9, he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. So David is talking to the great congregation of Israel, and he's telling of God's great deliverance. Verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. So Psalm 40, the main idea of the first 10 verses is that God delivers his people, and he loves to do so Now, if you need some deliverance in your life this morning, Psalm 40 is for you. If our neighborhood needs some deliverance, if our culture needs some deliverance this morning, which all of us would say amen to, Psalm 40 is for us. So we're going to see Psalm 40, and there's three individuals that are really involved in Psalm 40. David being one individual, clearly. He's the author, so he is involved in this. Uh, Jesus is also the Christological center of Psalm 40. So, what do you mean? What I mean is that Jesus is prophesied about in verses 6 through 8. It's a direct quote from Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. So, so Jesus is all over this psalm. He's in every verse of this psalm. And then the third person in this psalm is us. Can I get a witness? Come on, we're selfish Americans. We want to think that this Bible's all about us, right? So we are in this as well. Praise God. Psalm 40 has us involved as well. So as we scratch the surface of this psalm, it answers at least three questions. Three questions that David is giving to us about deliverance, okay? So the first question that this psalm is going to answer is when does deliverance happen? When does deliverance happen? Okay, that's the first question. The second question this psalm answers is, where does deliverance happen? Where does it happen? And thirdly, the third question is, for what purpose does deliverance happen? Praise God, we get all three answers in our time together, okay? 
So, first question, when does God deliver? When does God bring deliverance to his people? The answer is in verse 1 through 3, and it is God delivers at the lowest point. God delivers at the lowest point. Look at verse 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from where, David? From the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth in verse 3. So, David is trying to get us to see a metaphor here, right? The metaphor is you're stuck. How many of you have ever felt like you've been stuck in your life? Stuck. Man, come on. We have coronavirus testimony that has told us we've been stuck in our houses for months at a time. Of course we've been stuck in life, right? Well, here, picture yourself stuck in the bottom of a well. In deep mud. Okay? You liking this picture so far? All of you claustrophobic people are probably like, stop the illustration now. You're at the bottom of a well. You're in deep mud. Okay? Put yourself up in knee-deep mud. You can't move your legs. And then there's water coming at you. There's water that comes at random times, and you're stuck in the mud at the bottom of a well, and you're looking up. And you're trying to see if there's anybody that can help you escape. And every time you cry out for help, the water comes and it slams into you. So when you say, I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry. That's David in a really dark space. He's stuck in mud. He's looking up for a rescue, and water is constantly berating him, and he is saying, God, I'm crying out to you. What's your cry going to sound like when you're in the bottom of a well, stuck in mud, waiting for rescue, water coming up to you, and crashing into you, stealing your breath? Your cry is not going to be, oh, righteous Father, I cry out to thee on this my moment of great peril. Church, you're going to be like, God, help me! I cry out to you, right? That's the sense of the cry. And then you wait patiently. Now, this is not your Christianese, I'm waiting patiently for the Lord. I'm just, I'm just waiting patiently for God, right? You are waiting patiently, and the nuance of this Hebrew word is you are persevering in your look up the well, looking up into the light, saying, when is someone going to stick their head over the gap of opening to know that someone is hearing me when I cry, right? Waiting on God is not a boring activity. It is a persevering activity saying, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm in a terrible spot. I'm at my lowest point and I need you to come help me. I'm waiting patiently for you. You getting this drift of the text? So Christian, that is David's heart. And it reminded me of the Chilean miners. You guys know this story? In 2010, There was uh, 33 miners trapped underneath the earth, 2,300 feet under the earth. All God's people said, that's scary, right? 
They're trapped underneath the ground for 69 days. They were, they were drilled out at the cost of about $50 million, $20 million U.S. dollars that helped. NASA got involved. They drilled a 26-inch shaft 2,300 feet down to reach these miners. They pulled them up with a hitch, so they had 26 inches as they were being pulled up about three-quarters of a mile. How do you think those miners felt on day one, on day 10, on day 30? All right, probably freaking out and probably a sense of Psalm 40, waiting patiently for rescue. God delivers by coming down into our darkness. It worked for David. David was in a tough spot. We don't know what David's context was fully, but he had a problem. He needed God. He was crying out to God in verses 1 through 3. God delivers at the lowest point. David was at one of his lowest points. We don't know what it was, but we know that he needed God. Jesus, you can see Jesus all over verse 1 through 3, because you can feel the weight of the cross of Christ in verse 1 through 3. You can feel Jesus suffering greatly on the cross as if he was in a well of darkness. Jesus hanging on the tree for your sins and mine, and he is suffering greatly, and he is looking up to heaven, waiting patiently for the Father, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is looking for the deliverance of the Father in his lowest point. And when Jesus died on the cross, remember what the weather was like. It was in the middle of the afternoon, it was dark as night. There were clouds everywhere, the sky was dark, there was an earthquake. Jesus cried out, he gave up his spirit. In the lowest point of humanity, in the lowest point of sin and the curse of sin, Jesus hangs on the cross and God does his mightiest work of deliverance. Can I get an amen? Jesus puts away our sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, and he does it in the lowest and darkest place, and that's where God does his greatest work for you and me. Jesus was delivered at his lowest point, and in Christ, we are delivered at our lowest point. You know, God comes to save sinners. Church, do you know that? You can smile about that. God comes to save sinners when? When does he save sinners? At their lowest point. You only meet Jesus when you're at your lowest point. When your life is falling apart. When there's no place left to turn. When the mud pits of your life have caught your feet and the waves of sin and circumstances beat on your life and mine again and again and again. It's at the lowest point we're ready to meet Jesus, right? So if you take Julie's illustration with Logan, all right, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak your illustration a bit if I could, right? So Julie hands the gift to Logan and Logan looks at the gift and according to Psalm 40, 
he's just, he's going to look at the gift and kind of like Logan did, strange, what are you giving me this for? But the, the further nuance of, I, of Psalm 40 is that he takes the gift and he throws it on the ground and he says, I'm good. I got what I need. I got what I need. You don't need to give me anything. Because the stubborn heart of man will not turn to Jesus Christ until they are at their lowest point. And all of you who have been saved by Jesus, and you were saved at your lowest point, like I was saved at my lowest point, you can give me an amen, right? Because Jesus comes and he finds us without exception when we are at our lowest point. We can't see anything else. We look up, and if there is a God, and he really did send Jesus, his son, then we're ready. Then we're saying, Come and save me because I am bankrupt by myself and I'm going to drown in this pit. Um, This has been the testimony of Living Waters Fellowship for years and years and years. That God has saved people when they have been at their lowest point. Lynn, Dave, Crystal, Jim, Jess, Enrique, Alma, Ben, Aaron, Alex, Zach, Chris, Amber, Molly, Brian, just to name a few. God saves people at their lowest point. And when you come to know Jesus, that doesn't mean you're done in your need for God to deliver you again, right? Christians, if you thought you were off the hook, you're not. God saves us from our sin and from hell once for all, praise God. But as we grow in Christ, we need his deliverance as our growth process happens. We get into places where we're real dark, we're really stuck in mud, and we're looking up and we're needing God. So God delivers at the lowest point. Remember it, mark it down in your life. God will deliver you at the lowest point. Secondly, where Not only when does God deliver, but where does God deliver? Where does God deliver? He delivers in the heart, verses 6 through 8. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering, sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I've come in the scroll of the book as it is written. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David tells us, that God's deliverance happens in the heart. The deliverance of God happens in the heart of man. So, worshiping God is not about having the right sacrifices. You can see that in verse 6. It's not about having the right animals, doing the right rituals, saying the right things, singing the right songs, giving the right amount of money. God wants the heart of the worshiper. God cares about what's going on inside. God delivers in the hearts of his people. So David knew this, right? David is saying that he knows that God isn't impressed. Now, if anybody can provide animal sacrifices by the thousands, it's David, right? David was agriculture rich. That guy, if he came to Living Waters Fellowship, he could bring 10,000 bulls all right, to our church on any given morning, and we'd be like, whoa, David's loaded, right? Because he's bringing all these animals. David could have sacrificed thousands upon thousands of animals. And David says, look, God, I know that you're not very impressed with animals. You want my heart. You don't delight in the extremity. You delight in my heart being open 
to you. Now, if if you're marking your Bible, verse 6 says that you've given me an open ear. And I just want to give you the really quick answer to what that means. That means that David says, you have my heart and my mind wide open to you, God. You've given me the gift of having an open mind and heart. So David knew that his gift to God would be an open mind and an open heart that is worshiping God with genuine motivation. All right, so Jesus also knew this. Not only David, but Jesus knew this motivation as well. Okay, Jesus obeyed God from the heart. And we see, da- we see Jesus in verse 6 through 8. Jesus had God's law, his deliverance in his heart. And this is where the Hebrews passage comes in. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 5 through 7, Jesus says his mind and his body were 100% dedicated to do God's will. So he loved the Father and he brought the Father's heart to humanity. Okay, now how many of you and, and I, how many of us can say that we bring our heart open to God 100% of the time, all day, every day? How many of us can say that? None of us. Because Jesus is the only one who 100% of the time, 100% of the days of his life, he preached the good news, he healed the sick, he performed miracles, he loved the marginalized, he rebuked the proud, and he died on the cross and he rose again to capture the hearts of men and women. Only Jesus was fully given over to an open mind and an open body to God the Father. Only Jesus. So if you think you're really righteous this morning, I'm just going to cut you down a few notches, okay? You think you're really performing the Christian life well? Let me knock you down, okay? Because you don't come close to Jesus. You don't come close. You, I don't care if you serve in a specific way. You're a leader in our church. You don't have anything on Jesus. The only thing you have in life is Jesus. Amen? That's all you got. That's all I got. My righteousness is not because I preach a good sermon or not. My righteousness, my accountability, my acceptance is because I believe that Jesus was in tune with the Father all the time, even when I'm not. So in Christ, as we come to know Christ, we see and we know that deliverance only happens in our hearts. So God wants our hearts this morning, 8 a.m. service. You're like, wait a minute, God wants my heart at 8 a.m.? I thought I was getting off or easy this morning. God wants my heart and my mind this morning? Absolutely. God is not mainly concerned about your sacrifices, your tithes, your offerings, your church attendance, your obedience, the clothes that you're wearing. God doesn't really care. God wants your heart. Amen? God wants us to see that our deliverance comes through Jesus. God doesn't want us to put on a show. He doesn't want us to check the God box. God wants us to have humility of mind, an attitude of gratitude, An understanding that God has delivered us on the inside. And when God's deliverance happens in our hearts, we will delight to worship God. When we begin to see that Jesus is the only way that we're going to walk, that deliverance only comes in the heart, we will begin to delight and serve and worship God to say, I'm imperfect, I'm sinful, but Jesus loves me anyway, and I'm delighting in him this morning. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hudson Taylor, 
the founder of the China Inland Mission in 1865. 1865. He saw his ministry save tens of thousands of Chinese people who heard the gospel for the first time. They interviewed Hudson Taylor at the end of his life and they said, dude, you have given up all your life to Jesus. What would you say at the end of your life? Hudson Taylor said this, I've never made a sacrifice. I've never made a sacrifice. Hudson Taylor delighted in God. And he viewed his goal to know Jesus more. He saw that deliverance comes from the heart and that the heart of the gospel is to bring the gospel and the heart of God to people who don't know. So, where does God deliver? He delivers in the heart. And finally, for what purpose? For what purpose does God deliver? For what purpose does God deliver you and me? He delivers for a testimony. Verse 9 and 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance. I have not restrained my lips. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness. I have not concealed it from the great congregation. So, we testify about our stories of deliverance, do we not? So, I, many of you have testified about that speeding ticket that you got out of. Can I get a witness, right? You like, remember that one time, and I, I, I should have gotten a ticket, and I didn't get a ticket. And then what do you do? You testify to all of your friends who have gotten tickets that you did not get a ticket because you are so special and you are so good at talking to police officers. You testify about the unexpected money that came in, right? You just got some money, and you didn't expect it, and you take joy in it, and then you testify about it. How about that sweet deal you got on your car or on your house? Man, we're always bragging about the deals we got about on our car and our house. Look at all the money I saved. Look at all the stuff I did. I'm joyful. I'm going to testify about the deliverance that I've experienced. And if you are Reuben Roscoff... You testify about the garage, dale, garage sales deals you swing all the time. Can I get a Reuben Roscoff garage sale? Amen. Amen. <laughs> so Reuben better be testifying because he was out garage sailing yesterday, and he'll testify about all the deals he got, right? Testifying is telling people about the deliverance you've experienced when you testify for God, you tell people what God has done in your life, which means that you have to move your mouth and tell people about the glory of God and not conceal that information. So David knew this. David knew that he had to share the testimony. He was sharing the testimony in verse 9 and 10. And he said, I haven't withheld this testimony from people who need to hear it. There are people who need to hear it. How about the whole nation of Israel? How about a million people that need to hear from their king that God is great, right? How about the next generation that needs to hear from David the mighty works of God? David knew that he was delivered, not for his own personal gain, so that he could sit inside his castle and watch Netflix all day, David was delivered by God to testify about God to God's people. Jesus knew this. Jesus always spoke to people about God's deliverance. 20,000 people in John chapter 6. 
the religious leaders in John chapter 8, thousands of people in John chapter 7. That microphone. Here we go. All right. John chapter 8. I'm almost done, by the way, so I hope. John chapter 8, and then John 14 through 16, Jesus testified to the world, right? He told the testimony of the deliverance of God. And you know what? Jesus, he spoke to people all the time, and he's still speaking to people. Amen? Jesus is still speaking to people all the time. In their hearts, through the witness of other Christians, Jesus was delivered for a testimony. And finally, in Christ, we, we are delivered for a testimony. You know, you have been delivered, I have been delivered by God through Christ for a testimony. So, when you have been delivered, you won't be quiet about it. We won't be quiet, says the VBS song, right? We find ourselves in Psalm 40, saved by Christ for what purpose? To testify. We've been saved to tell all that Jesus has done for us. We've got to tell Living Waters about what God has done. We've got to tell our small groups what God has done for us. We've got to tell our counselees what God has done for us. We have to tell our relatives what God has done for us. We have to tell our coworkers what God has done for us. We need to tell people in our neighborhood about what God has done for us. And when you know Jesus, you're going to tell people what God has done for you. And make no mistake, church, this morning the next generation needs to hear about all that God has done for you. Amen? Every Christian who names the name of Jesus, you are not exempt. You are called into the business of testifying to the next generation. So for what purpose does God deliver? God delivers for a testimony. Let's close our time in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, we're so thankful for Psalm 40. You deliver your people, God. Time and time again, you deliver. Lord, you deliver when we're at our lowest point. Some people here this morning are at their lowest point, God. I pray that you would deliver them this morning. Lord, some people are in a place where they're not willing to give their heart to you, God, but that's that's where you deliver your kingdom, into the hearts of people. So, God, may you please work in our hearts this morning. May we not hold anything back from you, God, this morning. And Lord, you've delivered us for the purpose of a testimony. You've delivered us to testify to the grace of Jesus. Lord, the salvation that we have is not for us. It's for others to hear. So Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. May we love your deliverance. May we enjoy your deliverance this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.